Hey everybody, this is Pastor David with We Are Church. I just want to thank you for taking the time to tune into this podcast. Here at We Are Church, our mission is to be a place where people come to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. One of the ways we do that is through the reading and the teaching of the Word of God. So I just pray that this message would challenge you to take your faith to the next level and you would find freedom in every area that you need. God bless you and enjoy the message. Let's remain standing for a second. If y'all will uh, reach your hands towards heaven. Father God, we just thank you, Father, for this day that you've given each and every one of us in this room. God, I just pray right now, Father God, that you would meet each of us here in this place, God, in a way that only you could meet us. You said where two or more gathered that you are in the midst, so we welcome you right here, right now in this school cafeteria, God. And we, we just invite you, God, into every area of our life, God, every, every one of our struggles, God, and just every single one of our flaws, God. And God, I just pray that you would speak to us in a way that only you could speak to us today. God, as, um, as I decrease, that you would increase, God, and that you would reveal yourself to your children today in this room. God, we're grateful for the opportunity to be here to worship you. We just stand in faith, God, believing that every chain in our life will break tonight, God, that every weight that has been holding us down will, will fall off of us tonight, God, and that we'll be able to run the race that you have placed before us in a way that we've never ran before, God. God, that we would experience a new strength in this room tonight that we have never experienced in our life, God, and that we would see you in a way that we've never seen you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, starting with verses 12 through 18. Some of y'all better start coming in here with some Bibles. <laughs> I'm going to pray one more time. Father God, I thank you for this time that you've given each and every one of us. God, I just pray again, Father, um, God, that as I decrease, Father, that you would increase. God, I ask, Father, that you would speak through me as we um, get into this sermon. God, that you would open our ears, Father, to hear what you have to say to us. And, God, that you would open our eyes to see what you want to show us, God. And we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we started the I Am series two weeks ago, and this is our third week into it. And so we've been looking at how Jesus is revealed as the Word made flesh and how we see him in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And all Scripture points to him, all Scripture comes from him, and all Scripture is him. And so as we, as we study Jesus according to the Scripture and not just Jesus according to the New Testament, we see the evidence that points to Jesus being the Savior of the world. The first week we went over uh, uh, John chapter 4 and how Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah. And not only did he come to save us from the penalty of our sin, but he came to literally save us from our sin. And we learned three things as we went over the uh, the story about the woman at the well, first, is that he's intentional about meeting us where we are. And that Jesus isn't afraid to meet us where we are. He isn't afraid of the sin that we're stuck in. He isn't afraid of, of, of every problem and struggle that we have. That Jesus isn't scared to come and sit down next to us and meet us where we are. Second, we learn that he's intentional about dealing with the sin problem because he's the Savior of the world. That not only did he come to save us from the penalty of sin, but he didn't just come to save us from the penalty of sin and, and leave us stuck in the mess that, that we're stuck in. 
that he didn't want to just leave us stuck in our anxiety and our depression and our insecurity and our bondage and our addictions and everything else that we struggle with, but that Jesus desires to save us from our sin. And how a lot of us are walking around still struggling with the same things because we think that God only wants to save us from the penalty. But he died so that we didn't have to live like that anymore right now. And third, we talked about how his ultimate goal is to restore right relationship with the father. And we went back to Genesis chapter one from the beginning of time, the fall of man, when they ate from the fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and how instantly they felt naked and they hid from God in shame. And the first thing that man carried was shame after they disobeyed God and how even today. That's what we struggle with. That's the worst thing we struggle with is that we walk around carrying guilt and shame because we feel like we haven't, that we we feel like we disobeyed God. And so we talked about the first prophecy ever given about the coming Messiah. And he immediately after that, Jesus tells the serpent, because you have deceived and because you've done this, that you will grovel on your belly for the rest of your life. And he says, I will cause hostility between you and between the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and her offspring will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so he was telling the serpent that from the woman, the woman's offspring, me and Jesus being born of the Virgin Mary, that he would crush the serpent's head and that ultimately he would restore right relationship with the father. So we no longer have to walk around carrying guilt and shame and hiding from God because God already sent his son to bridge the gap from what separates you to the father. In uh, our second week, we went over John chapter 6, and Jesus reveals himself as the bread of life. And we talked about how he came to satisfy spiritual hunger. So that when Jesus is calling himself the bread of life, he's saying, what you're really hungry for is me. And that we talked about there's a vacuum-sized hole in 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 the heart of every man that can only be satisfied by God. And that a lot of us, we, we, we're walking around trying to fill a void inside of our hearts and trying to, to satisfy ourselves spiritually, not knowing that what we're really hungry for is God. And so Jesus talked about he was the bread of life, that he came to satisfy spiritual hunger. Second, we talked about how he came to conquer spiritual death. That we no longer had to walk, walk around spiritually dead right now, that because his body was broken, we could be made whole right here, right now, where we are. And third, we talked about how he offers eternal life, and, and we have to see it, we have to believe it, and we have to receive it. And we say, how, how do we see Jesus? How do we see Jesus? We see Jesus in the lives of the people that are sitting in this room. We see Jesus in creation. We see Jesus when we open our eyes, but we can't see Jesus unless we're looking for Jesus. That when we look at a person who's been broken down their whole life, gangbanging, robbing, and on drugs, or or, or a woman who's been raped and beaten and molested. And we talked about these horrific testimonies that people have, but we see them full of peace and joy and God using them in spite of their flaws and their failures that we see Jesus. And second, we we we, we have to believe. What do we believe? We believe that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins and so that I could experience abundant life right here, right now on earth. We have to receive it. 
And we talked about how maybe, maybe you're in this room and you're thinking, man, but I don't deserve the grace of God. I don't deserve to receive um, salvation from God because I've been a failure. I've been a flaw. And you're thinking of all of these reasons of why you don't deserve to come into the presence of God and receive his grace and his mercy. And we said, man, if I put a million dollars on this stage right now and said, here, come and take this million dollars, I bet you wouldn't be thinking about how you weren't a good steward and you didn't deserve that money. In fact, you would be thinking about everything that you need that money for. You would be thinking about the hospital bills that you need, how you could place your family in a better position, how you could buy a house and how you could do this and how you could do that. You would be thinking about every single excuse to why and every reason why you need that money. And it's the same thing with the gift of salvation. You don't deserve it, but he's given it to you. You just have to receive it. And So now we're going to go into our next I am statement. And we're going to start with the Gospel of John, chapter 8, starting with verse 12. And, man, I see some new faces. I should have done this in the beginning. I see some new faces of people that I haven't met before. Man, my name is David, and we started this church three weeks ago. Short. <laughs> I'm David. I'm a pastor. <laughs> I said I was going to do that. <laughs> um. I grew up in this neighborhood, man. I went to school in this cafeteria right here. And, uh, man, I grew up in this neighborhood and, and at a very young age started gangbanging and robbing and doing everything else most people do in this neighborhood growing up. A lot of us came from broken families, and we really just went to, to, to try to find love in the streets. You know, it was that sense of belonging. Like, I didn't join a gang because I was scared. I joined a gang because I found somewhere that I felt like I belonged. I found a family. I found, I found this, this sense of, of love and just, you belong here. And that's what really drew me in and grabbed me and, and pulled me into that direction. And, man, I, I witnessed a lot of homicides at a really young age. And, man, we just, we, we got into some things that we should have never got into, man. And my life went spiraling. I got addicted to opiate pain pills at a real young age. That eventually led up to heroin. And I gave my life to Jesus in a motel room. All I had was a trash bag of clothes, a needle, and a spoon. That led me to a, to a jail cell the next day. And I knew that that was God rescuing me from my sin. And so, man, I, I decided when I went to jail that time is to break away from all my friends and really just pick up a Bible and try to get to know the mind of God and try to figure out who he is and who I was created to be. And I went on a mission and I said, man, God, I'm going to give this everything that I got. And as I started to read the scriptures, at first it was just like reading a book. None of it made sense. And then all of a sudden the scriptures became alive and God started to speak to me. And my mind started changing. My heart started changing. The, the desires of my heart started to change. And I eventually went to uh, Davidson County Drug Court on a 15-year sentence and graduated that program and got out, became a single father, met my wife at church, and then a blended family, and here we are today. But, man, I say this all the time, man. I, I didn't give my life to Jesus because I wanted to stand in front of anybody and preach the gospel. I never even wanted to step foot in a church door. I just didn't want to put a needle in my arm anymore. But as I, as I pursued the heart of God, he showed me what I was created to do. And because of that, because God showed me what I was created to do, I, I, I can, all of my failures, my flaws, my pains, my hurts, I seen that God was going to use that. It, it stopped hurting me. And so, man, for anybody who's in this room today and you say, man, like, I don't know what God wants to do with my life. You don't have to know. You don't have to know. He'll show you what you, what you were created to do. You just got to pursue his heart. 
And so the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse, starting with verse 12, says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees replied, you are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. Jesus told them, these claims are valid, even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I am not alone. The father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness and my father who sent me is the other. And so we have Jesus standing in front of a crowd telling them that he is the light of the world. And the Pharisees get to arguing with him and saying, man, how can you make these claims about yourself? And Jesus says, if I make these claims about myself, it's still valid because if two people agree on something that it's accepted as a fact, I said it in my father. It also is a witness to saying that I am the light of the world. And so as we've been going over these I am statements, we see Jesus constantly in front of these crowds and in front of the Pharisees claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be living water, claiming to be the bread of life. And now he is saying, I am the light of the world. And the reason that the Pharisees get so aggravated because they get so offended is because of what exactly Jesus is claiming to be. And so we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and really see what Jesus is saying that he is. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. So we're going to talk about those two words, formless and empty. So formless is is without structure and without order and void. It's like empty and without life. And so what Jesus is, what, what, what they're saying in Genesis is that the earth had no structure and it was lifeless. So he's saying it was in total chaos and there was no life. And verse 3 says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And I want to start by saying the light that he's mentioning here isn't the light referring to the sun because Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, a few verses later is when God actually created the sun. And and, uh, verse 14 says, Then God said, Let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years, and let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. And so we see that when when, when he's saying that Jesus is calling himself the light of the world, that he is literally talking about what creation actually came, what, what, what creation followed. That when the earth was formless and it was void, when it was empty and it was in chaos and it was lifeless, that God had to speak light before he could ever bring life into this world. And the Gospel of John, chapter one, verses one through four says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness 
did not comprehend it. In other words, when Jesus says that he's the light of the world, he's saying everything that you see lives, breathes, and exists because of me. And so the Pharisees are super offended at the fact that Jesus is literally saying that I am what spoke everything into existence, that apart from me, you wouldn't even be standing here right now. A few points that I want to touch on. Without light, there is no life. You never find freedom from darkness until you choose to walk in light. And I want to put an emphasis on the word choose because if we don't choose, we can't, nobody can force us to walk in the light that we can come and sit in these chairs. But if we don't choose to walk in the light, we will never have freedom from the darkness. Verse two said darkness covered the waters. Another thing that kind of was illuminated to me, darkness doesn't pour out, it sets in. So I want to ask you, in what areas in your life today have you allowed the darkness to set in? Light eliminates darkness and pours out. Matthew 5, 14 through 15 says, you are the light of the world. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. He's saying, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to every, everyone in the house. So not only did Jesus call himself the light of the world, but he's even telling his disciples that you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. That when we're in relationship with Jesus, that when we have an intimate relationship with the light of the world and we allow him to come into our hearts and illuminate the dark areas and, and rid, of, rid us of the darkness, that we become the light of the world as well, like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. Because when we allow the light to pour in, we then pour out light. Light reveals all things hidden by the shadows of our sin. And that's a painful process. When we start to actually shed light on the dark areas of our life, just have relationship with the light of the world, we start to feel things that we haven't never had to feel before. And it's a painful process when God really starts to show us just how broken we are and how much we need him. That if we came in this room today and you think that you got it all together and that you finally arrived and that you made it, I promise you, you spend some time with God, he'll show you just how broken you still are. Because he wants to continue to put us back together. He wants to continue to, to, to take the layers and layer after layer off of sin, off of our life and build us up. I want to take a look at what led up to Jesus making this claim about himself. Go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. We'll go back to verse 1. <clears throat> verse 1 says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down. And taught them as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses said to stone her. But what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. 
They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said, Neither do I go and sin no more. So we see the adulterous room. Adulterous woman caught in the act of adultery and placed in the middle of the crowd. One of my points is what's done in the dark will always come to the light. Luke 8, 17 says, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to the light. What he's saying is what's done in the dark will always come to the light. And some of us in this room today, I, re I really, when I was preparing this message, I really struggled with, with, with writing this down, but I really feel like God wanted me to share this. That some of us in this room are walking around real exhausted because we're living a double life. And that he wants us in or out. And he's saying, man, you, if, you, if you think that what you're doing right now will not come to the light and that your sin won't find you out, you are sadly mistaken. And here we see this adulterous woman that she's been placed in the middle of the crowd and she's been stripped and placed in front of everybody. And she's sitting there, just everybody looking at her while she's buried in shame because what she was doing in the dark was brought to the light. And there's nothing more exhausting than living a double life. That's why a lot of us in this room, we're, we're, we're extremists. We're either in or we're out. We're either hot or we're cold. That's why any time that I would get out of jail and walk away from God and pick up a pack or start to do this and that, I would completely walk away from God because it showed me what I was supposed to look like. And I couldn't be a hypocrite. I couldn't walk around and talk about Jesus but live a, live a different life. I ain't got the energy for that. And so... We can either allow God to shine. We can either bring the things that we're struggling with to the light or he'll let them find it out for us. And if if we're lucky, we'll run into the arms of mercy and allow him to restore our life. But I promise you, if you live in a double life, it will find you out. I don't know who that's for. I don't know why that was just randomly in my sermon. For real, I, I really I was like, oh, I don't even want to put that in there. You know what I mean? But. I couldn't. God was like, man, now you better put it in there. <laughs> and um, one of the biggest mistakes the Pharisees made was they placed Jesus in a position of judge. They dragged a woman in front of Jesus and said, the law of Moses said to stone her. What do you say? And Jesus says, OK, but let the one who was without sin throw the first stone. John 3, 17 says God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Because Jesus chose mercy. And so they drag this woman into the middle of the crowd and they're like, hey, Jesus, they're trying to trap him into saying something. And like the law of Moses says to stone her. But what do you say? Jesus said, OK, y'all can stone her. But let me see whichever one of y'all don't have any sin in your life. You throw the first stone. Jesus chose mercy and mercy trumps judgment. Abraham Lincoln said it this way. He said, I have always found that mercy bears richer fruits than strict justice. And I was thinking about this as I was studying this. I was thinking about a moment 
Last year, I went in front of the judge to try to get the rest of my probation thrown out. And as I was driving back, which the, the, the judge granted what I, was, what I was asking her for, and as I was driving back on the freeway, I remember sitting in that courtroom in my preliminary hearing, and we had got caught not breaking into a house, but attempting to break into a house. And I remember this man was sitting there and he was testifying about me. And the DA, my, my lawyer gets up there and he asked him, he said, did he break into the house? Did you see him break into the house? And he said, no, he didn't break into the house. He said, because I believe that this man's house, this, this was a mighty man of God's house and his house was covered by the blood of Jesus. And that's why God didn't allow this heathen and this thieves to break into his house. And I, I remember looking at him with like this biggest smirk, like, dude, is this dude serious? Like, God really stopped me? Like, that's how I really was thinking in my rebellious mind. Like, I was thinking like, and I remember looking at him like, yeah, right. And I looked over at the DA and the DA was looking at me like, I'm going to hang you. Like, she caught me like with that look on my face and she was like, yeah, I'm going to hang you. I'm going to put you under the jail. And I remember being so scared. And I remember thinking about that moment and I was like, man, God, I was so foolish. And then the Lord spoke to me and he said, the same covering that was on that man's house is the same covering that led you to salvation. And that the same thing that looked like it was, it was destroying my life was actually the thing that saved my life. And that God will take what the enemy means for bad and that he'll turn it for good, that he will look at the people in here that, that are, are broken and that everybody thinks they can't be used. And he will say, that's exactly who I want to use. And that I'll turn your whole situation around for the good, if you allow me to, because God is a merciful God. My second point is mercy gives way to light and light gives way to life. Zechariah, full of the Holy Spirit, prophesied this about the coming Messiah in Luke chapter 1, verses 78 through 79 says, Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. And so that's John the Baptist's dad. When he starts to prophesy about the coming Messiah, he's saying the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. That Jesus' ultimate mission was to give light to the people who were stuck in the darkness and lead us to a path, to a path of peace. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says, And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. And so he's saying, he said, you're, you're, you are a chosen people and royal priests, a holy nation, that you're God's very own possession. He said, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God because he's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That that's exactly why he, he wants to use us so that we can show everybody else the mercy of God. Once you receive no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. Third, mercy eliminates the voice of the accuser. John 8, verses 5 through 9. 
Again, it says the law of Moses says to stone her, but what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And so Jesus is eliminating the voice of the accusers. And when he tells them, "Okay, let the one who is without sin throw the first stone and they all walk away because he was eliminating the the voice of the accuser. Isaiah 54 through 17 says, but in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up, uh, raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken And so Isaiah 54 is prophesying about the coming Messiah. And he says, in that coming day, that no weapon formed against you will prosper. That every tongue that rises up against you in judgment will be condemned. The whole purpose of Jesus to come down here was to eliminate the voice of the enemy and to restore right relationship with God. says, then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. I like how every person that dragged her out of there completely disappeared one by one until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. To understand the seriousness of God's mercy, we have to understand the seriousness of our sin. And here we have this woman. She wasn't caught cheating on her husband because she had a text message in her cell phone or because somebody told, somebody told him about her cheating on her. No, that she was literally caught in the act of cheating on her husband. In the act of adultery. In the middle of what she was doing, she was caught. And as she was dragged away and placed in the middle of the crowd. What did that really look like? Because it's easy to read the scripture, not really actually take the time to to live inside of the scripture and see the seriousness of of the shame and the seriousness of the sin that she was dealing with. That it wasn't just that somebody heard about her cheating, but that she was literally caught in the act of it. I wonder if she had kids. Did she have kids? I don't know if she had kids, but it's possible that she was married. Possible that she had kids. Possibly that that she had some kind of influence in the community. Like we can't just look at the scripture and only see that this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Because I know that's something normal in our lives that goes on around in these communities and the places that we've grown up in. In our families that we've grown up in and we've seen adultery be something that has been something normal. But back in them days, that was something that would get you killed. And so she's dragged away naked and placed in the middle of the crowd. And they placed Jesus in the seat of the judge. And I can imagine the look on her face. The desperation. The guilt, the shame. As she is crying out and looking at Jesus because he has the ability to either end her life or save her life. 
Jesus chose mercy. It's only when we realize how broken we really are that God is able to actually put us back together. Situation is it's serious, man. That when we look at this, that just like Eve in the garden, she's hiding and naked, hiding from God in shame. This woman is dragged into the middle of this place. Shame. Jesus chose mercy. Verse 8, when he stooped down and wrote in the dust, says the accusers heard this. They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd. Then he stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said, neither do I. He tells her, go and sin no more. And I was thinking about this, like all of the people that counted me out, where they at now? Every person that spoke death into my life and said that I'd never amount to anything great, where they at now? Every tongue that ever rose against me and said that I'd never do anything greater, that I would never be used by God or I'd never be a father to my children or I'd never get the needle out of my arm or I'd never break out of the system, where are they at now? And so a lot of you have been walking around carrying the lies that have been spoken to you your entire life and you don't believe that God can use you or do anything great in your life. But if God is for you, who can be against you? That when people would step into a room like this, they would look around and be like, man, who are these people? These people would never do anything great. And God says, that's exactly who I'm going to use to change this world. Last week at my house, we had, uh, we had baptisms at my house in the bathtub. I know, that's hood, it's ratchet, but look, <laughs> we had baptisms in the bathtub with two of my homeboys that I grew up with, in the streets, getting high with, selling drugs with, right? And, and, and the vision God showed me and spoke to me is that I would start a church in this community and I would reach the people that I used to run with. And people that weren't walking in the way of the Lord and that God was going to change their lives and set them on fire. That's what God spoke to me. So we started the church three weeks in, man. If, you, if you're from Woodbine or you know, know me in any kind of way from my past, will you raise your hand in this room? I want y'all to look at that. Look around. That's the vision fulfilled right there, man. That's it. And, and man, this is the start of something. I was also, also thinking about this. I was like, man... We having baptisms in a bathtub, right? But look, look at, the, look at how symbolic that is, that the first baptisms that we do, right? In the bathtub, we, 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 we take a bath. We wash the dirt and the grime off of us, right? And so here we got two people from the hood just getting in, man, getting the dirt and the grime off of them because they've decided to follow Jesus and they want to show the world that they've decided to follow Jesus, man. 
I almost don't want to get a baptism. I want to make y'all all come get in the bathtub. <laughs> if you see the video, I was pushing Buddy's head down like, man, you got to get your head under there, bro. <laughs> Dude, it's so good, man. It's so good to see what God is doing right now, man. Is it easy? It's not easy. That's a lie. Somebody tell you, you give your life to Jesus and it's all going to work out perfectly and you're not going to have any struggles or you're not going to face any trials in your life. Like that's, that is a fairy tale. When I gave my life to Jesus, the whole world fell apart. Like for real, I was like, man, what is going on? Like this is like the reverse effect of what I thought was going to happen. But man, I didn't realize that God was taking things out of my life in order to position me to walk fully in him, that he was pruning me of the things that would stop me from bearing fruit. In my life. So when I when relationships walked away from me, I didn't realize that God was going to give me a woman of God that was on fire for him and that was going to be my backbone and support the ministry. And she was going to stand beside me through thick and thin. I didn't see that coming when relationships were walking away from me and I had to deal with heartbreak and rejection. I didn't I didn't see those type of things, man. Jesus said that in this world, you will face trials and tribulations. He says, but take heart for I have overcome the world. It's a promise from Jesus that we're going to go through stuff, that we're going to face trials. But he said, but take heart because I've already overcome the world. And that as we learn to rely on the strength of Jesus and to press into his strength, that in our weakness, he is made strong. He's the only source that will ever satisfy us. That's why he told the woman at the way, he said, if you asked me, if you knew who was standing in front of you, I would give you a drink. You will never thirst again because what we're really thirsting for is him. He's the bread of life that what we're really hungry for is him, that he's the light of the world that we can't break out of the darkness that we're stuck in until we actually choose to walk in him. And that he's saying your, your, your world is, is, is it has no structure. It has no order. It has no life in it, just like the beginning. But if you allow me to come into it, I'll bring life. I'll recreate, the bro- I'll recreate every broken area. I'll restore all the broken areas in your life. Everything that you have lost, you'll gain it back. And for some of us, this is the first time in our generation. It's the first time in our family that we're actually seeing something like this. Right? Some of us come from church, from church homes. Some of us, you know, grew up in church. Some of us come from good backgrounds. And some of us, man, we've, we've never been around anything like what God is doing right now. I love how, as Nicole was singing, Break Every Chain, the part where it says there's an army rising up, right? Look around this room. I don't just see a whole bunch of broken people. I see an army rising up. You know what I mean? I don't just want to be a church that comes and sits in these chairs, man. I see an army of God, a people, a chosen people in this room. Man, it's, it's, it's been so good, man. God is it's, it's doing, he's doing something different in this season. And I hate saying God is doing something different, you know, but, it, but it, to me, he is. It's different for me. It's different for the community around me. It's different from like revival has happened before. But I'm saying, man, I'm seeing something different that for the past two years, I've seen more people get sober than I have seen die. You know what I mean? I've seen a lot of people die from drug overdoses, but I have seen a lot more get sober the past two years than I have seen die. And that is the first time in Woodbine history to me. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm amazed at what God is doing because one by one, I'm watching people come out of the darkness and step into the light. 
something else I wanted to talk about. Back to Matthew 5, 14 through 15, when he said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. He said, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light for everyone to see in the house. So when he's saying no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket, not only is he talking about that when we are filled with his light, that we don't need to hide it and be in shame, but that we need to let the world see the light of God inside of us. But he's saying, well, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. He's saying, I don't light a lamp and then put it under a basket that I'm going to place your life on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. My question is, how many of us in this room today are willing to allow God to really light up our life? And I don't know if you're the person that came into the room that you're saying, man, God, I, I, I'm, I'm the person that's been living a double life and I'm exhausted. I'm worn out. I'm depressed. I'm stressed out. My mind can't stop racing. I can't sleep at night. God, I'm tired of living like this and I just want to live one way. Or you're the person that says, man, I just can't break out of this darkness. But man, you know what? I just want to give my life to Jesus tonight. I want to start over. I need the light to come in. Snatch me from the darkness. It's beautiful that we've had 16 salvations since 16 people give their life to the Lord just since the pre-launch, right? 14, no, 17 people give their life to the Lord since the pre-launch. But the most beautiful thing is the people in this room that call me every day. They talk about what they're struggling with. They get real with me and get honest and say, I slipped and I failed today. Because it takes a person shedding light on the darkness for them to be able to, to, to be set free from the thing that they're struggling with. And that we are a church and we're a people that, that, that people feel safe enough to come and say, man, David, this is what I'm struggling with. That we get in a room and not only the, the people in this room, but I myself would say, man, this week I failed in this and I failed in that and I failed in this. And I'm not perfect because God isn't looking for a perfect people. We talked about that last week. That That's the difference about Christianity because God isn't looking for a perfect people to represent him. That he wants an imperfect people that are willing to pursue a perfect God. And the most beautiful thing to me is when people feel safe enough and vulnerable enough to say, man, I'm struggling with this. That I was on fire for God this morning, but I slipped and fell and it's only lunchtime. Because it's not easy. But they're shedding light on the dark areas of their life. They're saying, man, God, I'm struggling in this and I need some freedom. And that's the only way that we're going to break free from the things that are holding us back. I'm going to close us out in prayer. Would you bow your heads real quick? If you're in this room tonight, and you say, David, man, I'm tired of living this life apart from God. I'm tired of trying to get things done in my own strength. I'm tired of trying to change in my own, my own strength tired of running from God. I'm tired of living a double life, whatever that area is. And you're just in here today and you say, man, you know what? I know I got some dark areas in my life. I know that I'm struggling in some areas. And you know what? I just want to give my life to Jesus or give my life to Jesus again tonight. 
rededicate your life or make that decision for the first time and you're in this room and you say, man, David, like, I, I just want to do that. I know I can't get it right on my own, and I just want God to come in and do what he does. Does anybody in the room tonight, you want to make the decision when you raise your hand? Can I get y'all to stand up real quick? Man, y'all give God a hand clap, man. Praise for real. Beautiful. I want to challenge you right now. If you're in here and you feel, nah, y'all stay standing up. <laughs> I didn't say sit down, lashes. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> no, if you're in this room tonight, I want to challenge you, man. If you feel the pull of God on your life and you feel God telling you to stand up and surrender your life to him, because I'm not, God is not saying that he wants you to be perfect. He's saying, I need you to allow me to do a work in your heart tonight. Don't walk away from this room and not get what you came for. You might have came in here not even knowing what you, what, what, what you need, but you feel that pull on your life right now to stand up. Don't be too ashamed to stand up in front of him right now and say, God, I need you to come in and do what only you can do. And like I said, when I gave my life to Jesus, I didn't want to stand in front of anybody and preach the gospel. I just didn't want to stick a needle in my arm. And I'm here as the evidence that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That word testimony literally means the evidence of God working. And so I'm saying I'm here tonight standing in front of you because I'm evidence that God can do a work in your life and he can change everything about you from the inside out. So if you feel God pulling on you, man, do not sit down in that seat. I need you to stand up and get what you came for. Amen. Amen. I'm talking about. Let's as a church just repeat this, man. All of us. We all need it. Say, dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for this day. God, thank you for your salvation. Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins, for the freedom from my bondage, and for every area that I struggle in. I invite you into my heart. I believe that you rose on the third day so that I could rise in victory too. Take my life and do as you will with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, y'all praise God. I want to pray over the whole church right now as a whole. And then after service, well, I'll talk about that after that. Let's close our eyes one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this day that you've given each and every one of us. God, I just pray for each and every person in this room. God, every single uh, need that they have, God, I just ask that you would meet that. God, I thank you for the healing that's available because of your stripes that you bear, bore on the cross for us. And God, I thank you for the strength that we have in you, God, that even when we're weak, God, that we could just press into you, God, and that you would give us the strength we need to keep moving forward. I come against the spirit of anxiety and depression right now in the mighty name of Jesus. I command it to break off of each and every person in this room right now. God, I just ask for a special anointing to come down on each and every person in here that gave their heart to you and their life to you, God. God, that they would have the ability to break the bondage and the, the yokes in their life, God, but that they would be able to see what they were created to do, God, and know that they can be used by you. 
God, I ask that as we go into the rest of our weeks, God, that we would have a stronger revelation of who you are, God, that we would have uh, uh, more intimacy with you, God, that when we would read our word, it wouldn't just be a book, that it would be alive, God. God, that it would speak to our hearts, God, that it would reach every area in our life that only you can reach. God, you know every need that they have, God, and I just pray, Father, that you just meet them. We thank you for the ability to be here, God. We thank you for this room. We thank you for uh, uh, the ability to come and worship you, to get into your word. God, I just ask that you would give us strong convictions to have strong relationships with each other and make allowance for one another's faults, God, and actually be able to grow with one another so that we can do the work that you have assigned each and every one of us to do. You chose the broken. You want to use the broken. Use us, God. Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from We Are Church. I trust that you are blessed and moved in a way that changes your life permanently and allows God to guide you towards your calling in Christ. If you want to make We Are Church your home church or feel moved to sow into We Are Church, we want to provide the means to do so. You can join or give online at weareministries.com, and you can also reach us on our social media platforms at We Are Church Nashville. God bless you. Have a great week.